Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Formal Review. Today, we'll be having a special Halloween episode. This is sit back, maybe grab a drink, and let's talk about this movie. What's up everyone? I have shed innocent blood. And welcome. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, sorry about that. We all go a little mad sometimes. What's up everyone, and welcome back to the Formal Review. This is season three, episode 32, and I thank you all for tuning in once again. So this is the third episode in the October Halloween series where I review movies chosen by my followers. Um, if you've been missing the past few, I'm doing this because Halloween is one of my favorite holidays, and I really love the month of October, and I like to watch scary movies around this time of year. So if you missed out on voting, you're going to have to follow me on social media to see what movies will be reviewed. So this review is going to be on the 2019 film Us. Now, before I go into that movie, you know I talk about this at the end, but the data shows that most people skip over that part. <laughs> so I do want to reiterate the importance of leaving reviews on your favorite podcast service because those reviews really help me grow and improve. A lot of you have talked to me offline, but I do really appreciate the reviews that already are out there. If everyone could just continue doing that or letting me know any way that you think that I could grow and make this more entertaining, feel free. And I'll look at them and I'll grow as such. So anyway, before we get into this film review, I do want to tackle a few other things. I'm going to discuss my updates to my movie collection from Prime Day, Disney's new business model, and the effect that could have, and then the movie at hand. So stay tuned. Wait here for a little while, see what happens. So as I'm sure a lot of you already know, last Tuesday and Wednesday were Amazon Prime Day. So if for some reason you do not know what that is, it is a 48 hour event that normally happens in July, but because of the pandemic, they push it to this past week. What is really great about this time of year, just in general, is that there's some fantastic deals on movies and specifically this year, I'm more looking into 4K versions of films. And I was able to really get myself some really good deals. Not all of them came from Amazon as some of the other competing companies such as Best Buy had sales, but overall they weren't as good. Anyway, I was able to upgrade a lot of my movies. So I was able to get an upgrade on Aquaman, Man of Steel, all three John Wick movies, all of three Matrix movies, E.T., Scarface, Rogue One, and all of the original Jurassic Park movies, and then Jurassic World. I didn't need the most recent Jurassic World because I already had that on 4K. I also was able to purchase Interstellar on 4K, and I'm not going to go into my full thoughts on these movies as that really could take a ridiculously long time to go into so i won't bore you with that however i will definitely go into which ones are true and fake 4k or upscaled from 2k so the fake 4k include the first jurassic world movie aquaman man of steel and john wick chapter 3 parabellum but scarface Rogue One, E.T., John Wick 1 and 2, all three Matrix movies and Interstellar were true 4K. I only got the fake 4K because the Jurassic World was part of the Jurassic Park 25th anniversary box set and the third John Wick film was part of the chapters 1 through 3 box set. So again, the question comes up is why do I spend my money on this? Now in prior episodes, I've touched on some things such as the audio and video upgrades. However, while those are still true, there are some other things as well. So if I'm going to upgrade to 4k the price has to be black friday prices or around it for me to be sure so if it's like a dollar or two more expensive in the middle of the year it just may be worth buying so then i don't have to wait until november to purchase it so while that also may not be a guaranteed price throughout the year it's a good baseline to kind of base on because that's going to be arguably the cheapest amount so if a movie hasn't come out on black friday because obviously new 4k movies are being released every single year or the information isn't already out 
out there on that specific movie if it's been released earlier. I use websites such as Camel Camel Camel. Kind of just shows over a course of a specific amount of time if the price is the lowest it's ever been or similar to that November price tag. And that's when I usually will purchase it. So there's a possibility that some of these movies could have been less on Black Friday. But if that is the case, what's good is that those ads are going to be out beforehand. So I'll be able to look and still most likely be able to return the movie and purchase those on that day. So my collection at this point is a little under 800 movies. And now 43 of them are now 4K Ultra HD. So big question that I get is why do... I collect. Well, the main reason is is that I really get a comfort owning my own movies. My collection may only be a fraction of what the streaming services have, but then I don't have to depend on them to watch movies that I want to watch. There's been too many times for me that depending on the month, I really want to watch the movie, Netflix doesn't have them. Or if they have, for example, Rocky 2, but they don't have the first movie. And that really has bothered me in the past. And I think HBO Max has the same thing and it all depends on licensing similar to that of cable channels running movies during the day. But this is a big deal especially with how the news that we got this past week about where Disney is headed. So last Monday on October 12th the company revealed that in order to further accelerate its direct to consumer strategy it's now going to be centralizing its media businesses into a single organization that will be responsible for content distribution, ad sales, and Disney+. Plus. They stated and I quote under the new structure, Disney's world-class creative engines will focus on developing and producing original content for the company's streaming services, as well as for legacy platforms, while distribution and commercialization activities will be centralized into a single global media and entertainment distribution organization. The new media and entertainment distribution group will be responsible for all monetization of content, both distribution and ad sales, and will oversee operations of the company's streaming services. And this this was obviously done in response to the global coronavirus pandemic, which has pretty much crippled the theater business and ushered in more customers toward streaming options. As of August, Disney has 100 million paid subscribers across all of its streaming offerings, and then more than half of which are Disney Plus and the rest is on Hulu or ESPN Plus. So planned theatrical releases of big, big films such as Black Widow have been rescheduled, while other films including Mulan and the upcoming Pixar film Soul are seeing their first runs on Disney streaming service Disney Plus. And this is because tickets sales obviously have been particularly lackluster at domestic cinemas and pretty much since the industry attempted a large-scale reopening in late August for Tenet. And this is obviously a shame because I think personally that Tenet is one of Nolan's best movies. I think there's a lot of science that goes into this movie and I go into that on season 3 episode 24 so I won't go into it here but I think it's pretty amazing for a science fiction film. And that movie gained about $48 million in the US and $3.23 million worldwide and is still bringing money. Not a lot, mind you, but still about $2 million in its sixth week of theater play, though there was a 20% drop since the prior week. It'll probably bring in some more money this past weekend and then maybe another one next weekend. But I think by the time of this being released, it's going to potentially go over $50 million in the US. However, this is obviously not the gain that it wanted to get back. Is it valid to call it a flop? Maybe. The amount may be less than what no one would have 
in today if there wasn't a global pandemic, but it is comparable to what the Prestige brought in, which is about $53 million. Now that's over 10 years ago, but still, it's good to keep that in mind. There is a possibility that Tenet could still be one of the top 10 biggest grossing original live action movies over the past seven years, even during a pandemic, despite a fairly non-functioning US box office. Though I think that the main problem is that a lot of people thought this movie was going to be like Inception, which gained a little under $300 million domestic and then another $800 million worldwide in one summer. Inception is a great film. It is, I think, my number one Nolan film. And this film, like I said, is in my top three. Though, based on the one viewing that I had, it is number three, which may change over time. But either way, this film isn't what Inception was in terms of crowd-pleasing thrills or memorable characters or really the amount of money it gave, obviously. I think that it was obviously hurt by pandemic fears and capacity issues, but arguably, it probably wouldn't have done much better than this financially. And I say this because people that saw this movies are the ones that are willing to venture out safely, mind you, and see it. And even so, a lot of people said online that they would have issues with it seeing it a second time. And I feel the general population who goes to see movies would be even less likely so to see it a second time. So most likely, it would still have probably have underperformed. And honestly, the amount of money it got isn't all given everything and it's only behind 10 films of the original live-action Hollywood movies released since 2013. Gravity had 723 million, Interstellars had 700 million, Dunkirk had 525, The Rock San Andreas had 474, La La Land 441, Lucy 459, Pacific Rim 411, 1917 384, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 374, Now You See me 351 a quiet place 341 and the great wall which had 335 so a Box Office Flop is basically a highly anticipated studio film that is significantly unprofitable over the span of its theatrical run. But any movie whose combined revenues fails to exceed its production and marketing costs can be considered a bomb. Now, I wouldn't personally call this a flop, but I would say it is more than a bomb. According to IndieWire, Tenant would have needed about $800 million to break even, which I don't think it will do going forward unless a lot of people buy it when it comes out on disc or on demand. I do plan on buying it. However, I do find this $800 million mark slightly unusual as I have learned over time that typically a movie has to earn twice its production budget to break even. And going by that general rule of thumb, Tenant would only have to earn $400 million, which it is close to. Executives calculated that each postponement cost Warner Brothers between $200,000 and $400,000 in marketing fees. So arguably, it cost Warner Brothers 300,000 each time, so that would be about 600,000. The production budget was about 200 million, and the original marketing campaign was reportedly around the 100 to 200 million dollar range, though this number hasn't been confirmed. So, if we say on the higher end of it, that is 500 million dollar cost that this film would need to break even. It obviously didn't do that given the circumstances. To get over halfway there isn't too bad. Now, Mulan brought in about 60. 
37 million dollars internationally in the box office and on disney's premium service they haven't released the numbers that certain households have watched this film and it did have about the same production budget as tenant and analysts like i said are still waiting to see how much disney got from those who purchased on disney plus now yahoo reports that 29 percent of the united states that subscribed to disney plus purchased mulan from the time it was released and through september 12th okay since it is estimated that 30 million of the 60 million people worldwide subscribers to disney plus reside in the u.s that means roughly a 9 million people already spent the 30 dollars on mulan now when yahoo did that math that comes to approximately 261 million through the first week and a half and the typical decline for a movie on a weekly basis is 40 percent but covid has kind of made everything unpredictable so let's assume a drop off of about 60 percent which is comparable to x-men days of future past so after the 260 million dollars during the first week and a half the following week would be 100 million the next being 42 million and so on so at this point in this recording we're about a month out from that release but let's give it a comparable weekly time to tenant at six weeks that is a total of about 437 million so if their marketing budget was equal to tenant at 200 million plus 1.2 million for delays the film would need it about 401 million to break even this means about 36 million dollar profit if my numbers are correct now these numbers have not been released by disney and given everything a profit is great in comparison to tenant however it wasn't much which is why i am iffy about this push to streaming i may be among the small population of people about the theater business but i personally have faith that we will bounce back i mainly think this because yeah streaming services offer a lot of great things but i feel that broadway west end these are extremely expensive events to go to and yet they still survive. So I think the theater business will bounce back. I understand when it comes to smaller theaters, yes, they may lose their businesses and that really does suck for them. However, I think the big corporations, somebody is going to buy these instances and allow that to happen because frankly, there's enough pushers and businesses that will push through. Cinemark, AMC, these businesses have invested in multiple, multiple millions of dollars into these companies. I mean, I'm estimating here but you think about it the u.s really it's hard obviously because of the pandemic and in other countries in the world it's i mean depending on the country it's better or worse i mean they're not going to close down in the u.s and then not close down in other countries so i think that it's going to just be able to rebound yes it will be slow yes it will take maybe a year or two yes we have to go to movies with masks on okay I'll accept it. Yes, it may be harder and we may have to make reservations to go see these movies. Fine with me. Let's push forward with a full head of steam, follow the rules, and we will get through this. Again, I may be among the small population of people that believe that, but I think that it's going to happen eventually. It's just like Boeing. Their stocks tanked pretty much right as the coronavirus was happening, and now they're bouncing back. And eventually they will bounce back because people want to travel. I think movie going is very similar to that. It's not the same, obviously, but it's similar enough. At least I feel confident that it's going to. And I think that if we keep on thinking in the negative, yes, it won't happen. To anyone who needs to hear this, keep pushing, keep remaining positive, because frankly, that's the best way to push forward. I know it's hard to get excited about movie news, but we have to. We got to try to treat this as normally as possible, because otherwise it could go lower. I'm not saying it won't 100%, but I lean more toward about being optimistic about everything. But the business world has given its approval of this because 
pretty much right after they announced this. The stock jumped about 5%. This move is obviously Disney's push to compete more actively with Netflix. And again, while I understand this, I feel this is going to lead to more movie piracy and the lack of care towards 4K content that Disney's going to do. Movie piracy has always been a thing, even outside the pandemic. I mean, you go back five, six years, we see those commercials leading up to the movie trailers, right? And according to Muso, which is a website that collects data on online piracy, the act has increased 33% worldwide. And in the United States, there's been a 45% increase. And frankly, this was a worry of mine when competing cable companies started taking off their content from Netflix and creating their own for a cost. At the end of the day, People want to watch certain specific things at certain specific times. And if there's a company in the way of changing it or charging them more for it, they will do one of the following. They will either pay for it or they will find a workaround. And that's frankly why Netflix became a thing. People didn't like having to pay for movies. So this company created a way to only pay one monthly fee and you get as many as you want, but one at a time initially. And then they led to their streaming service, which had everyone's favorite shows. You could get everything on Netflix which was a huge game changer. Now everyone wants in on this streaming, which is just going to destroy the streaming services because if you have to go to each individual cable company to watch whatever you want to watch, you have to go to ESPN to watch sports. Then you have to go to NBC to watch Parks and Rec at the office. People are going to get annoyed with doing that because essentially we are moving to what we had before, but it's on the internet. We don't call it cable anymore, but it's pretty much the exact same thing. I don't have cable and I barely use streaming services as it is. And this is mostly due to my view on streaming services in general. I don't personally think you get the best quality from them. And I've talked about that in previous episodes because at the end of the day, movies are made to either be 4K or upscaled 2K. And to my knowledge, no film is made with 1080p in mind. Arguably on a 4K screen, you are still getting a 4K amount of pixels, even if the video that is playing isn't sending that. However, even so, that is still not 4K. If someone says to me that they are fine with that, then sure, I'll believe them. Nothing wrong with that. However, if that same person says to me and says what they have is 4K, then you're wrong. You can't say that something is something when it's mathematically not that. Even if the film is made with a 2K intermediate, there is still a downgrade from that to 1080p footage that they're showing on a 4K screen. And most likely, that is what the general population is doing. I've said this before, but mainly it's because streaming services aren't really giving 4K content. To get 4K, you must pay Netflix for their premium subscription. And even if you do pay for it, your internet must be able to handle it. And the main problem with streaming in general is compression which again means the picture and sound information has to be processed in a way that allows it to be sent efficiently over the internet. Netflix and Disney Plus say that you need at least 25 megabits per second to stream Ultra HD content. and Amazon needs 15 to watch their videos. Now, as per this recording, again, the two cheapest high-speed internet for the most bandwidth in the US are Verizon and Comcast at about $40 and $35 respectively. This will get you download speeds of about 100 megabits megabits per second for Comcast and 200 for Verizon. However, what most people, again, do not realize is that that speed is if you are hooked up 
directly to the router via an ethernet cable. And at this point, Wi-Fi is only about 70% at as fast at maximum. Now, I'm not gonna go into the specifics of how this goes on because it's a lot of information and I'm already talking about a lot of things on this episode. But it is, again, also dependent on the type of router you have. If you don't have a good enough router, you're not gonna get the right signals or you're not gonna get the correct speeds. And then it depends on how many devices you have. If you have 10 devices on your Wi-Fi, then you go down and watch your television. It's basically gonna only be consuming a percentage of your Wi-Fi. It may be a majority percentage, sure, but it's still not getting the max. So you're still getting less and less than that maximum that you're supposed to get. On the Wi-Fi, it then also depends on how far you are away from your router. Obviously, the further you are from it, the weaker the internet is. I'm not trying to assume that the majority of people listening have weak internet or weak Wi-Fi, but that's just mathematical. Unless you have like extenders everywhere, your internet, relatively speaking, is going to be slower in certain areas than others. For me, to get the Wi-Fi to handle it, I would either have to pay more per month for my internet or turn off all my devices to be handled the 4k so on top of that it was released last week as well that netflix is re-encoding all of their 4k hdr titles in their catalog they claim it is going to still deliver the same quality of 4k but at half the bitrate they stated and i quote for members with high bandwidth connections we deliver the same great quality at half the bitrate on average for members with constrained bandwidth we deliver higher quality at the same or even even lower bitrate, end quote. And other advantages to this new approach apparently get you get you get higher initial quality or fewer quality drops while streaming, less rebuffering and a reduction in initial play by about 10% according to them. And they're basically saying that the new highest bitrate will be 1.8 megabits per second for a 4K animation episode. And since this announcement, there has been multiple reports on forums from subscribers who have seen a reduction in 4K streaming quality. These complaints may become more widespread as Netflix released more of its 4K content recoded over the coming weeks and months. To me, it seems clear that Netflix is focusing mainly on reducing bandwidth than giving optimizations to what they have, which then leads to less improved and more compressed 4K video. So with Netflix compressing their content and Disney moving more towards streaming services, I am fearing that films will become less and less impactful and physical media is going to become more and more important and this is more even so from disney because back in august there was a rumor going around that disney was going to stop production on future disney 4k physical media releases of catalog titles which includes the entire 20th century studios library or 20th century fox studio after they purchased it they disputed this rumor and said we will evaluate each release by a case-by-case basis and pursue the best strategy given the consumer homes across platforms that meet a variety of demands. However, now with this move toward only doing streaming content, it seems that that reduction of 4K seems more and more likely. And I have said in previous episodes that physical media is the better way to view movies for a number of reasons. The audio, HDR, etc. In short, it allows you to see the film in the way the filmmaker intended it to be seen. Even if you live in an area that has the best internet and it is consistently high and you cannot even remember the last time you dropped a connection, physical media holds holds the upper hand.
hand. The compression is still going to happen. And again, if you say to me that it doesn't bother you that there's compression, fine. If you acknowledge that it's not as good and you're fine with that, okay. However, if again, you say to me that you are getting the true aspects of the entire movie, you are unfortunately incorrect. TVs and sound equipment really haven't been better. Why would you intentionally bottleneck your quality of the media that you're watching on them? I, I know that there are some people out there that would disagree with me and that it is a fad to have physical media and they've outlived its days and this is now the more modern viewing of film. I honestly would say to you, look at your internet numbers, look at your HDMI cable, Look at your subscription service and if you are paying for the content you think you have. See if your favorite service has one of your favorite movies right now and compare the movies you care about to someone who has the disc version. Play a streaming service, play the one on the disc and see if there is a significant difference. If you really don't think there is, that's okay. You go do you. Me. I have seen the differences when it comes to content. And frankly, I could be wrong, but my guess is that a lot of people who are just doing that basic minimum are not getting the true 4K content. On top of that, if you truly appreciate a film and the artist behind them, having physical media can give you that kind of connection with the media that can be carried and really continued on through the rest of your lives. I mean, I've been collecting for a really long time now, but now that one, my video and audio capabilities have gotten so much better and moving into the 4K market as I have, you really do get this better connection to these movies. And even if you do not care about physical media at all, you you have to admit at some point that you are okay with a lesser quality film experience. And if you're fine with that, great. But again, you can't say to me that you are getting the best experience possible. Sorry for that rant. I care about this type of thing a lot. Now let's get on to the movie at hand. Let's relax, grab your drinks, and let's discuss the movie. Now, before I get into everything, I do want to say that there will be spoilers talked about here. I know this movie did come out last year, so I will refer you to the season two, episode three of my review for this movie. It is spoiler free. If you don't want to hear any spoilers, go check that out because in this review, I'm going to also be giving my analysis of the movie. So if you do want to hear that, go watch the film, come back and then listen. Otherwise, you're going to have this movie spoiled for you. So proceed with caution. But if you don't care about that, keep listening. So Us is a 2019 horror film written and directed by Jordan Peele starring Lupita Nyong'o, Winston Duke, Elizabeth Moss, and Tim Heidecker. The film follows Adelaide Wilson played by Nyong'o and her family who are attacked by a group of menacing doppelgangers. So Rotten Tomatoes critical consensus reads with Jordan Peele's second inventive ambitious horror film, we have seen how to beat the sophomore jinx and it is us. Now Rotten Tomatoes rates it after 533 critic reviews, a 93% fresh rating. But interestingly, it has a 59% audience score after about 13,000 user ratings. And I am really confused by that. On Metacritic, after 56 critics, there was an average weighted score of 81 out of 100, indicating universal acclaim, but a 6.4 user score after 925 ratings. So I'm really unsure what
what normal moviegoers didn't like about this movie. Because I'm not a written critic that gives ratings on this, and frankly, I think these ratings that are given by users is really, really low in comparison to actually how good the movie is. And here's why. I said this when I covered the movie before, but the acting in this movie is still absolutely phenomenal by all. Winston Duke is great as the embarrassing dad character. The children are really, really fantastic. But the true star of this movie is Lupita. When this movie came out, she had already won her Best Female Actor Award for her role in 12 Years a Slave. She had played the wonderful Nakia in Black Panther and participated in films such as Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, and Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi, Disney's live-action Jungle Book, and and Disney's The Queen of Cat Life. So she was pretty much a star at this point. I say this so that you understand what I mean when I say that she absolutely transcends herself into an entire different level of acting. And I know I'm not alone when I say that this role is honestly in the category of greatest horror performances of the 21st century. And if not, it is one of the greatest horror performances of all time. However, I would even go into saying that her performance is one of the best in the last decade period. Yeah, she's that good. She is able to captivate her audience with simply her eyes and make you feel for her character, no matter whether she's scared, angry, or even happy. She plays both of her characters absolutely flawlessly. And really, it is a shame that she was ignored last year for another Best Female Actor Award. She wasn't even nominated for this. Instead, we got Renee Zellweger for Judy, uh, Cynthia Erville for Harriet Scott Johansson for Marriage Story, Shursa Ronan for Little Women, and Charlie Sterling for Bombshell. Nothing personal toward those women, and I think they all did fine in the roles, but I would definitely say Lupita's performance was better than three of them. I'll just let you decide. But anyway, each viewing of this movie shows how amazing she is in this role and further excites me for any films that she will be participating in in the future. Outside of the acting, the direction of this movie is also fantastic. Jordan Peele has really established himself as a successful director. Get Out had the obvious critical and fan fame. And while that film is not a true horror film and more of an analysis on society, this film feels more directed toward that genre. One can compare the two and say that his debut is arguably a better film, but why do that? They are both pretty fantastic, if not on equal levels. You can really see how the director has grown since his first film. He uses the background and basically drags out single moments to give the audience discomfort then scares you on them later. Nothing feels rushed to me. Even if some of the scenes feel dragged out to you, it's purposeful. And this is shown in the opening credits as one long shot expanding out. The overlaying music keeps the eeriness going on with no real reason of what these rabbits are until one line of dialogue later on in the movie. When the girl ate, her food was given to her warm and tasty. But when the shadow was hungry, she had to eat rabbit raw and bloody. 
One thing that I forgot about until I rewatched this movie was that Peele also wrote the movie, which really fully establishes his genius writing ability. He is able to creep out the audience while also dissecting society. This film looks at the side of society that suffers on the other side of privilege, whether that be those of different ethnicities, the most marginalized and vulnerable populations of society, or the prison industrial system. So this movie starts off with Red returning to a place where she switched places with Adelaide. Oh, before I go any further so no one is confused, I'm going to be referring to the characters based on the reveal at the end of the movie. So I do remember thinking the first time that I watched this film that the switch probably happened. However, even on multiple rewatches that I've had on this movie, Peel does a terrific job at teasing you in ways that make you think you didn't figure it out or that the twist is something else entirely. The audience learns that Red came from underground tunnels that are apparently underneath us who all wear the same red jumpsuit similar to those that are in the prison system. The tunnels themselves resemble penitentiaries that have a flickering fluorescent overhead lights. While the people above live in a world that is relatively fun and enjoyable, the people living in the tunnels are obviously worse off. They move in the exact same way as their counterparts, but without any reason why. If those above are riding a roller coaster, the tethered move in the same way, but without the roller coaster and then in a small room. They are in these prison cells without any control of what happens to them. Now, this isn't the only allegory of the movie, and I think Peel is able to show that privilege happens in so many different ways. At the end of the movie, he shows the tether joining hands in what is a mirror image of the Hands Across America event that happened in 1986. It was meant to raise money and awareness of hunger, which stretched a 6.5 million person chain, which is almost all the way across the United States. Despite the good intent, there was never any realistic chance of forming an unbroken human chain from coast to coast as hundreds of miles are fairly unreachable by humans without a lot of coordination that they weren't doing. However, the event was declared as a major success by the participants. Many donated $10 to reserve their space in line and the movement raised $34 million, but only $15 million was distributed after deducting operating costs. The movement did send money to charities to fight hunger, homelessness, and help those in poverty. The event took place the year that Red and Adelaide switched. Peel also shows here the privilege of being able to speak up and tell your story. When Adelaide awoke in the tunnel, she was the only person who could speak, so the tether treated her as their leader. Whereas Red was silent because she didn't know how to speak because she grew up as a tether for the most of her child. And she was looked at as an oddball and was continuing doing so as she grew up. And it continued until the events of the movie. You guys have a good summer so far? Yeah, it's been great. You good? Yeah. I have a hard time just talking. Adelaide became a leader and Red became afraid of her own shadow, so to speak. This fear of privilege is something that a lot of people don't talk about. As an Asian American who dealt with some racist comments throughout my childhood, I was still a little resistant when someone close to me told me that I had some privilege in another way that I hadn't thought of before. Now, I recognize it and fully acknowledge it. However, I know some people don't always come around to it and will 
still deny things because honestly, who wants to be told that they're doing something wrong or that you're cheating in some way? I mean, but honestly, it's not cheating in the traditional sense because unless you are actually knowing that there's a privilege and still doing the same thing that you are doing, then that's, I would say, cheating. But in this scenario, the one doesn't think that they are starting ahead. Think of it this way. In a 100 meter dash, you, as somebody who has some type of privilege, whatever that is, is running straight ahead, nothing in their way, and it's relatively speaking easy aside from actually running it. Then the next person has less privilege than you and has to run not only 10 yards behind you, but also has to jump hurdles. But they have to get to the same exact finish line just as you do. But they still may be able to get there when you do or get there before you. But they have to work much harder to do that. Or they may not even be able to get to the finish line. And acknowledging privilege is legitimately understanding that that happens. I don't know what the next step is. However, the first step we got to do is really look ourselves in the mirror and try to see where the problems are. Because once we do that, it's a lot easier to find a solution. I understand that slight resistance, but once you really think about it, it's not that preposterous. Unless you have a conspiracy cap on, we humans don't literally have shadow versions of ourselves, but I can guarantee you that there is some person out there in this country in, in the world, honestly, right now, who could have had your life, your career, but instead has a less comfortable one because they grew up with parents who didn't have the money to send them to college or because they grew up with some other ethnicity other than white or because they were a woman. You get the idea. The point of this movie is that we as a society are all connected. Our actions affect one another. Those with money, power, or privilege can make others do things that they may not want to do while those with money and power or privilege, get more of it. If you want to take an economic approach to this movie, it really kind of had as a message of anti-capitalism. Capitalism allows for people to work hard to get a profit, but it also allows for competition. This can lead to certain products going extinct and then getting a replacement. Competition pushes us to work hard for what we have, but also trying to stay relevant. I mean, if you look at multiple industries, how many of them now are becoming oversaturated? Look at the streaming industry that I talked about already. Everyone is getting a streaming service and it could lead to less people paying for quote-unquote cable again which then leads to more piracy which then can lead to another Netflix-like service that buys properties from the streaming services when they aren't viable anymore and I think that this message on privilege is so deep within the film that Peel does little things to push it along. One thing that I noticed this time around was the name of the Hall of Mirrors where Red and Adelaide interact. In 1986, it has a painting of a Native American at the top of its entrance. However, when the film fast forwards to 2019, the name was changed to Merlin the Wizard. Everything else of that location stayed the same. And I don't think it was an accident that this was done. And especially as we pass what some call Columbus Day. Where am I? Don't scare me like that, colonizer. Col what? This may be a slight sidebar, but Columbus is one of the most known and biggest celebrated failures of all time. When he left Spain in 1492 to sail the ocean blue, he was determined to find a direct water route west from Europe 
to Asia. He never did that. Instead, he stumbled on a new land which he thought was India, hence why Native Americans were called Indians. Somehow, he is the discoverer of the new world when they were millions of people already living there. Ironically, he wasn't even the first European to do this. Viking explorer Leif Erikson had sailed to Greenland and Newfoundland, aka Canada, in the 11th century. He didn't even prove that the earth was round. In fact, it is reported that most educated Europeans already believed this, and that idea was established by ancient Greeks in the 5th century BC. Some may say that Columbus more or less proved that it was possible to sail around it, but again, he didn't really even do that. He failed at his mission and found a relatively speaking new island to at least him. He just kind of showed Europe that there was a new place that they didn't really know about before. One positive thing is that yes, his journey did kick off centuries of exploration on the American continents. However, this led to the exploitation of many human beings. The Columban Exchange transferred people, animal, food, and also, you know, disease across cultures. Columbus even wrote in his diary, quote, They do not carry arms or know them. They should be good servants. Surprise when the indigenous people were forced into slavery. He collected even gold from them and those who didn't collect enough got their hands cut off. He was even arrested in August of 1500 and brought back to Spain in chains. He was then pardoned by King Ferdinand, was given his freedom, and then he paid for another voyage. Anyway, this was just the beginning of colonization. Obviously, there was the horrific act of slavery that existed in the United States, but there is still even a little bit of colonization happening today in our major cities, also known as gentrification. Gentrification often increases the economic value of neighborhoods, but it pushes out people that were living there previously. It's a process that starts off slow with artists, writers, musicians, affluent college students, hipster, etc., then the upper middle class professionals, then wealthier people move in, and then real estate prices increase significantly. It is the wealthy pushing out the poor. It is the one with privilege taking advantage of those who don't have the same privileges. If you don't see how this is parallel to colonization, I really don't know how to make it more clear. They aren't able to make their own decisions, but are even so tethered to the privileged. So the hollow mirrors, again, is the same on the inside and out, but the outside is what matters. The owners of the new land called America is what matters not the people that were there before them. The tethered are the same as their counterparts, but because they aren't above ground, they don't matter. Then, when the privileged try to help the people who aren't as privileged, it looks like the Hands Across America event. That event for sure did bring in money, but I can guarantee you it wasn't enough to actually stop hunger, and it's honestly pretty meta to show this event as a lot of people today think that they can solve a problem by creating a gigantic spectacle of a specific thing, such as a Facebook profile file picture then are surprised that accomplishes less than you think i mean you can participate in these things but you got to do more than that come on our country has problems and only by facing them and trying to solve them in every avenue are we actually going to fix them this is why this movie is so powerful outside of the horror aspects it shows us as if you are trying to run away and ignore the past it will return to haunt you however it is also a very human trait to bottle up our pains lock them away in the basement of our brain and hope that they never return. The only way that we can actually grow is to look ourselves in the mirror, recognize
recognize our faults and improve moving forward. Unfortunately, each part of our lives most likely has been due to the suffering of others. Once that is accepted, we can move forward together peacefully. This separate but equal duality is shown in multiple levels of the movie. The first and most obvious is the tethered and their societal counterparts. The second is in the Bible verse held by the man that says Jeremiah 11, 11. You have the obvious multiple number ones, but this verse, if you look it up, says, therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. This verse alludes to the apocalyptic nature of the film and because the tethered represent America's hidden past coming back to haunt the present. Elevens are then seen multiple times throughout the film on an alarm clock, signs, and the score of a sports game on a television. The daughters of the other family are twins. The final duality is at the end of the film when Jason realizes that the woman he has had for a mother was actually red the entire time. But then again, she is also Adelaide as that is who she has been his entire life. Red and Adelaide are one in the same for him. So my biggest issue with this film is the explanation of why the tethered exists in the first place. There is a line of dialogue in the film that says, It was humans that built this place. I believe they figured out how to make a copy of the body, but not the soul. The soul remains one, shared by two. They created the tethered so they could use them to control the ones above. Like puppets. But they failed and they abandoned the tethered. For generations, the tethered continued without direction. They all went mad down here. Now, even on multiple viewings, this explanation seems weak, though it's not big enough to really make this film unwatchable or ruin the movie for you. Like Peel's Get Out, this is a movie that does require multiple viewings because each time you'll notice more and more. It is absolutely terrifying when the film is dissected and the horror is not about a family of monsters or a family of demons. The horror is actually the audience themselves and this profound aspect of the film makes it just about perfect in my mind. The score by Michael Abels is absolutely amazing, especially with Dolby Atmos. And this movie is what made me fall in love with Dolby Atmos. I saw this in Dolby Cinema the first time and I've really never looked back. It really pushed me to get into the audio of a movie and not just the score that really can put you in the movie. And oh, again, if you love movies, invest in Dolby Atmos because frankly, if a movie has that or DTSX and you aren't utilizing it, you legitimately are really missing out and it will make you love movies all over again, which is even more important as we don't know exactly when theaters are going to open up again. So enjoying watching movie at home is essential. And visually, this movie will creep you out over and over again as well. It has great performances by all and absolutely phenomenal direction and writing by George. Jordan Peele. 
Now, what did you think of the movie? And did you like Get Out or this more? And did you enjoy the Halloween episode? I will be doing some more this coming month. So look out for those episodes coming soon. Let me know. Hit me up on social media. If you want to join me on talking about these movies, feel free to reach out on social media. The former review is on Facebook, Twitter, and the Gram. I post many things, including trailer reactions. So go check those out. The handle is all the same. It's at the former review. Feel free to also check out BackseatDirectors.com where I work with a big team to put out movie reviews and also editorials. Again, that's BackseatDirectors.com. Please also subscribe to The Former Review. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're now on Amazon Music, iHeartRadio. Honestly, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast, we have our content there. Also, I'm always wanting to grow and improve, so please leave a review and what you want to hear because I really do this for you all. I see the numbers and I really appreciate everyone supporting me and talking to me about movies because frankly that's what it's all about and for anyone who has supported me on a financial basis thank you again and if you want to help support on a financial basis please go to anchor.fm forward slash the minus sign formal minus sign review and click support this podcast and honestly any donation is appreciated thank you all again for tuning in and until next time Wear your mask, wash your hands, stay safe and take care everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Former Review. Cheers, and we'll see you next time.